0: I'm Christian. We sort of lost Jimmer today, but in place we have a very special guest, Dr. Mike Pasco, coming to join us today. Mike is the anatomy instructor at CU. He's a researcher extraordinaire, and he's an all-around technology wizard. We're super excited to have him. Thank you so much for being our first guest. My pleasure. Uh, Mike, we basically want you to describe yourself in three words.
1: Humorous. That's an anatomy joke, by the way. Uh, <laughs> seriously, though, humor in my teaching is... Pretty effective uh, when used appropriately, so I'd say humorous, a feeler, and teacher.
0: I mean, that pretty much sums things up pretty nicely, I would say. Let's use one word to sort of describe your job right now.
1: Privilege comes to mind. I just always reflect on the position I have and the students I get to work with, the faculty I get to work with, and that word just comes to mind very naturally. It's a real privilege to be part of the education system for these healthcare providers and it's really a privilege to work alongside great colleagues in the the CUPT program.
0: It's a great program. I'm a graduate myself, graduated in 2012. I mean you're not a physical therapist and I think that's important mm-hmm. for people to realize that in physical therapy we spend a lot of time working with individuals obviously outside of our field. Tell us a little bit more about your background.
1: Yeah, so I am your classic science nerd, loved science as a kid, and then through high school, and I knew I wanted to major in something science-related, so that was kinesiology at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I had no real long-range goals. I'm first generation in my family to go to college. That's my one thing that I think most people should know about me but don't. So I basically went through bachelor's, and then uh, it was recommended that I look at graduate school, and so I stayed in the same research lab and did a master's, and at the end of that was encouraged to consider a PhD. So I have a PhD in neurophysiology of human movement, and um, it's pretty unique that all three of my academic degrees are from the same university, the same department, and really involve the same research lab.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's that's pretty special. Myself, my history of research is is minimal if if any mm-hmm. and my history of college is all over the place. I went to I mean I went to DU, I went to a bunch of schools back east. I mean I've kind of cool. been all over the place and ended up at CU, thankfully in a pretty good program here which I'm still excited to be a part of. Cool. So, we're very very thankful to have you today again and basically what what are you teaching right now?
1: So, right right now as of this morning, I was in lab with medical students in their gross anatomy course. So I do lecture in that course but it's very minimal. I'm really in there in lab helping the medical students identify structures on the donors and other courses that I'm involved with in terms of gross anatomy throughout the year include the PT anatomy courses. They get PT uh, two times. They get it in the first semester and then in the which is the summer, and then their second anatomy course is in the second summer of their program. Which
0: is really amazing. I mean, that's something that you just can't can't state enough how different that is from a lot of places Mm -hmm. and just how special that is as a a student being a a member here and just students looking to go somewhere. That's a huge advantage. Oh, yeah. It's pretty
1: unique. It's very neat. A lot of opportunities out of that. Then I work with physician assistant students. And so I'm actually doing that right now as well. They have a new curriculum and I have transformed their old curriculum, which was actually with the PT students into a new layout, which is very complicated. But anyway, I'm I'm working with the PA students now directing and developing their curriculum. And historically, I've had involvement in gross anatomy with graduate students. There's a two year master's degree program called Modern Human Anatomy. And I've been involved in their course. And also when I first got here in 2011, I taught dental students. So you can almost dance across the campus map, looking at all the professions. And I've taught almost all of them anatomy at some point.
0: That Do you find that every student across the board is... Doing the same kind of anatomy, Does it, is it all gross the same or do you specialize depending on the field you're looking at?
1: A you bit? absolutely specialize. So that's my job security. Uh, that's unique about my position is I've learned how to custom tailor content in anatomy depending on the, the learner group. So physical therapists, they get two and a half weeks in the upper extremity here. Medical students get two and a half weeks for the upper extremity, lower extremity, and the back. So musculoskeletal experts uh, is definitely driving the decision to spend two and a half weeks on the upper and two and a half weeks on the lower.
0: Which is a great thing for us. I mean, it definitely proves that we're a little bit more specialized in our field versus just going to a regular PCP. So think about that next time you you decide to go to your PCP for low back pain or shoulder pain, when it may be better just to come see your PT. Couldn't agree more. Um, You're also doing some research at this time. Where is your area of research kind of going on now.
1: Yeah, that's been a a long path. So basically, after a lot of reflection and thinking about what kind of impact I want to make, I've landed on two main areas of research. They're both within the concept called scholarship of teaching and learning. So, I'm not working in a research lab with cells and DNA and um, cloning mice. Instead my research is in the classroom. So my subjects are students and I'm always interested in integrating innovative teaching technologies into my classroom, but now I'm able to look at it in a more rigorous and organized manner. So I've learned a lot about how to perform uh, research uh, within teaching and learning. And so that's one primary area, looking at the effect of teaching technologies in the classroom. And secondly, developing anatomy curricula. So this is mainly for the two courses that I'm in charge of, the anatomy uh, for PT and the anatomy for PA. So developing that content and then evaluating how effective the curriculum design is.
0: And I mean, how exactly do you go about sort of conducting this? Is this a you know a hypothesis based and then you go through the scientific method kind of a thing or is it slightly different because the test mm-hmm. subjects are students?
1: Yeah, yes and no. I'm so glad you brought this up because there's big stigma in science that um, teaching and learning scholarship is inferior and not as rigorous but the opposite couldn't be true uh, more true you can basically apply many rigorous statistical and um, also design principles within your experiments so it is very much hypothesis driven so i'm trying to justify and examine whether or not i should use for example a specific teaching technology so the the short version of conducting the research is i'll see a technology and i'll think about you know what its potential might be how does it improve the the student experience and how does it improve their learning outcomes so when i have that in mind i'll sit down and i'll design a study either with myself or with a colleague, and then I will submit that design to our review board on campus, basically. So that ensures that the students are going to be protected because students really are a vulnerable population. I'm their instructor and I need to make sure that when I invite them to participate in research, they're doing so voluntarily and there's no coercion. So that in itself is a very rigorous process. Uh, then sometimes funding is required so I'll I'll submit for grants and they're relatively small but um, there's some funding involved there then I'll go through my anatomy course the technology will be present I'll introduce the students to the technology we'll use it together throughout the semester I'll collect some evaluations on their experience in the form of a survey and then I have asked them to give me permission to look at their grades so I'll compare their exam performance, uh, the year with the technology, with the previous year without the technology, and that's the experimental control group design. So, so
0: they're acting as their own controls in that sense, then? Um,
1: in, in a sense, yep. They Well, the, the previous cohort of okay. the last year, because not a lot has changed from one year to another in terms of the content, the hypothesis is, you know, did the technology result in, number one, positive student experience and satisfaction, but more importantly, did it improve their learning outcomes? So in terms of examples, that's a pretty nebulous description there. I've published on uh, innovative photography methods, uh, known as light field photography. Also, uh, student use of Wiki, um, websites to organize information. Also, live blogging. That's very much uh, clinician-oriented. We can right. come back to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm currently writing up manuscripts on my experiments using Snapchat okay. um, in the classroom and outside the classroom. Also, developing um, digital custom cadaver dissection guides uh, using uh, e-books, e-publications, okay. and also collecting data right now on a new um, artificial intelligence technology called a uh, chatbot chatbot. Chat, the bots are, coming, the so bots are coming. So we're oh, trying yeah, to be ahead of the curve and we're trying to understand how learners can benefit from that.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, I, I mean, I personally find this stuff really interesting. I know a lot of people are probably going to have a hard time grasping this sort of stuff exactly. Sure. So, I mean, <clears throat> when we kind of boil this down a little bit, I mean, how does this transfer from, you know, kind of your teaching and, and you know, student-based research to sort of clinical practice or, or yeah. to, to the greater public outside of kind of the yep. small research sphere?
1: Yep, so I just went micro there, to go macro. Basically, anatomy is considered the foundation of safe clinical practice. So my overall goal always is to optimize my course so that students will have very durable learning. The, the, the knowledge that they obtain during the 10 weeks in the summer is gonna persist, persist as long as possible. So a lot of my um, research is addressing this directly And so then um, big picture for society, if you have competent, uh, well-educated healthcare providers, they're going to be able to deliver optimal care and be very safe doing so.
0: I mean, so you've only, I mean, only, you've been teaching here for about six years now, I would say. Well, one more, seven, Seven, years, seven seven years, seven years now. Um, In terms of that period of time, I mean, do you see a big difference between, like, your first group of students and kind of the students coming through now in terms of their their grasp on the content or their ability to make it more sort of universal for them or more applicable or more approachable? Mm.
1: Yeah, I think the main trend that I think has always been there is that I'm becoming more aware of study strategies. So it's kind of dangerous to categorize learners into these different groups, uh, Generation Z, Millennials. It's, It's kind of dangerous to apply these global characteristics to every student that you have so I could kind of wax on about oh yeah they're millennials now and you know they were born in the the late 80s and, and early 90s so now they're very entitled and they expect information to be provided to them right away wherever they are in a customized fashion that that could become something that happens I think the biggest thing that I've noticed over time is my ability to detect study strategies that are ineffective that come with the student from undergrad absolutely. and I get them in the first semester of their first year so I get to unpack all of that with them and diagnose uh, okay you're not doing well on the exams and you say you're highlighting and rewriting your notes uh, literature suggests that that's really not effective let's talk about some more active uh, ways of studying that's going to result in, again, that, that durable learning. And that the concept there is making it stick, really. Absolutely. That's my challenge in the summer with them. And so I've noticed that change. And my discussions with the learners have changed over these seven years to really be more effective. And it's been really rewarding to hear students say, well, you know, the anatomy is awesome, but I'm so glad we talked about how to study and effective study strategies because I take that with me throughout PT school. Absolutely. And hey, PTs are lifelong learners, right? So... They, they are without a doubt. I'm taking that into clinic.
0: I mean, speaking of lifelong
1: learning, I mean,
0: continuing education is a, is now a required component here in Colorado, at least. And, and in many states, it's a required component. And over the years, the classwork has sort of been boiled down to a lot of home-based, you know, review on your own computer, kind of at your own time sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you've sort of been a big proponent recently or more recently in terms of getting cadaver-based continuing education, which is really hard to do for lots of reasons. Yeah. But, I mean, what are you doing kind of to make that happen now?
1: so it's all about leveraging what is currently in place so you're right the uh, nationwide survey has demonstrated that there especially in our region of the country there's v- very little if nonexistent, existent cadaver based continuing education for physical therapists so basically um this i mean how many times do you have to be knocked in the head to get the message clinicians keep saying to me i wish i could go back to anatomy i loved it Uh, It's something that I utilize every day in practice. So if I could get back into lab, that would be great. So the opportunity, again, the answer came from the students. That's the great thing about the job, too. Privilege to work with extremely intelligent students. They're trying. They're passionate. They want to raise funds for PT research. There's an annual event around this. And they said, hey, what if we did a cadaver-based clinical um, education, continuing education experience where we present these donors that we specially dissect down to the joint level. So many healthcare professions, there's no time to go down to the ligaments and the bones that meet together at the joints. Mm -hmm. But in PT, like that's the bread and butter, you need to be able to visualize those joint surfaces. So the students have always done this in the course, but now what we do is the day after the students present their work, they've done four weeks of preparing a donor to teach the first year students, Then that next day, the clinicians are invited in um, they, they offer, a, you know, a donation, a contribution, and then the students are the teachers and they take the clinicians through all of the detailed anatomy of the joints of upper and lower extremities. Very nice. And just take them through and give them a refresher on what is moving underneath their hands when those clinicians are working with patients.
0: That's I mean, that's fantastic. We talk about this a lot just between my, my group of friends. I mean, we always are looking for continuing education courses that we feel are going to benefit us versus just sort of taking some courses to get the, the credit hours that you mm-hmm sort of need to continue continue and so something like this is very very appealing because we talk about it almost every time i mean you know you go to a pretty high level course and they talk about the underlying anatomy yada 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 kind of whisk through it again and you're like i really probably should get back and just double check that i'm not staying on top of all my innervations and on all that kind of stuff and this is great. I mean, we really do want to see more of this as a clinician for sure. So I'm pretty excited about this. Hopefully, next time it, it happens, I'm going to be part of the course.
1: I've got one more idea on this topic. So my, my wife is a PT uh, and a highly trained, ex- exceptional PT, and so she's pursue has pursued trigger point dry needling and talk about an anatomy review. Right. So she's done the the love the first level and the second level. And it's it's just been phenomenal to see the material that she brings home, and to see like they're using um, apps. They're using. I, I couldn't tell if they were three. They were definitely screenshots from three D apps. But I couldn't imagine going through a dry needling course in two dimensions when the needle passes in three dimensions. So I think it would be so cool to piggyback on and add a component of a trigger point dry needling course. Um, a cadaver review I mean, to actually see where the needles are going would I be mean, great.
0: Here in Colorado, we we do a lot of research in with dry needling. I myself am a, a dry needler. I've mentioned that before. Mm. And so over the years, I mean, we get asked to do a lot of kind of additional research. A lot of it's just survey-based at the moment. But, but if you don't know your anatomy, you know, you really shouldn't be dry needling is basically what it comes down to because you don't mm. know what you're putting your needle into. And that can be a very problematic issue if you're just not aware of where you're going with these things. And so... Definitely with that that area, I mean, be, piggybacking on that would be a phenomenal idea. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely all for it. And, and this is kind of when we first brought it up. When my my group of friends, we took a course together. It was a dry kneeling course. We basically all said, boy, I wish we were doing anatomy at the mm. moment as well. Just so, because, cool. yeah. you know, you have somebody who's 50 pounds. You have somebody who's 250 pounds. They're not going to feel the same. I mean, mm. if somebody is much slighter of build, you get much better you know, bony anatomy, and you can really feel yourself around a lot, and when they're yeah. a little bit larger, it takes a little bit more, like you said, sort of three-dimensional visualization in your head mm-hmm. to somehow figure out exactly where everything is, and finding some landmarks, and working your way from there. So, I mean, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I'm really enjoying all cool. your work, yeah. and and hopefully, hopefully, like I said, we'll see a lot more of this becoming part of the continuing education curriculum, definitely here in Colorado. Yeah. Um, to sort of switch veins a little bit here, I mean, you're a big technology guy. Mike and I first hooked up on Twitter. He basically started following the show and kind of mentioned us. I mean, I, I know Mike's work. I know, you know, Mike has been a, a professor here for a long time. And, um, I mean, what's your biggest technology addiction? I, mean,
1: I What we're doing right now, podcasts. Podcasts. So phenomenal. Podcasts were really emerging in the early 2000s. And it was a great way of delivering, you know, dynamic, exciting content and, then they kind of went down, but now, they, about a year and a half ago, they came back into vogue, and I've got several podcasts that I'm, I'm pulling on right now. There's great anatomical podcasts. There's great physical therapy podcasts, uh, not to mention the kind of leisurely fun ones on the side. I mean, we're, we're yeah, definitely more—this
0: uh, is, this is probably our most educational uh, of, of the group <laughs> so far, that's for sure. It's a little bit more dense content. It's definitely not— uh, for our typical clientele, but we're really excited to branch out, obviously. We we're definitely looking to, to just reach as many people as we can because we just think physical therapy in general is a lot of times just underrepresented. Uh, we haven't done a great job yeah. as a profession, really letting people know we're out there and what we're capable of. And especially at this point, I mean, we're basically only graduating doctors. And so that's a pretty big thing mm. that, that people aren't aware of. Yeah, um, a lot surprising. of people are surprised to see that I have a, a DPT and that I, you know, I'm officially Dr. Antoven. Everybody calls me Christian. That's the way I prefer it to be anyway. But when it comes down to it, you know, we're all doctors, and we we do know what we're talking about, and that's important, I think, for people to hear and to, and to understand and, and to definitely get the back story. And we really appreciate guys, you know, like Mike, that are doing all the work to to you know bring a lot more attention, a little a little more credibility for sure to to the profession as well. Oh yeah. This morning, we I liked one of your social medias. What what's been your kind of most recent enjoyable social media experience?
1: Well, in terms of experience, really developing an account on Snapchat. So my mantra as an educator is meet the student where they are and I'm I'm observing them and I'm observing culture in general and there's a lot of data to suggest that my learners are in social media and they're using Snapchat. So I don't see a lot of work in this educationally. Um, it, it's, it's ripe for the picking and so a good experience, you know, lately has been to just go about my day and share all of the anatomy-related stuff that's out there. You know, if there's a very popular video on YouTube of a kid that gets hit in the forehead and develops a really big knot, uh, you know, uh, blood under the skin. It's an opportunity to put that by my students and say, hey, look at this, um, what, what is going on here? What do you think, which blood vessel is affected? And the beauty of Snapchat is I don't have to wait myself two hours or something or 15 minutes to give the answer. I just give the follow-up answer in, a, in the next post, and then the learner can advance to that whenever they're ready. They get a chance to retrieve the answer on their own.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, social media. Everyone has it. And definitely, meeting people there is 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 part of the reason why we're doing podcasts. I mean, it just meets oh, people yeah. where we need it. Uh, obviously, we're out on Twitter and we're on uh, you know Instagram and all that kind of stuff.
1: You guys got to think about Snapchat. We got to think about Snapchat. About, I mean, there's only so many irons you can put in the fire. That, that's true. But.
0: That's true. What are you learning right now, Mike?
1: Yeah, I am in the final months of a program on my campus that is a um, certification program. So this is great, like I, I'm not done learning. I didn't get a PhD and then I'm done. I actually had to be very um, flexible in, in what I did after I finished a neurophysiology degree. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing scholarship of teaching and learning. So I didn't do a postdoc. I didn't do training in how to do this research. So I've been figuring it out on my own, but was fortunate enough to be admitted into a 18-month program, which essentially is, has taught me how to design and develop curricula. So I'm basically learning right now how to design anatomy content, and it's for, for a different kind of curriculum. It's not a curriculum where anatomy is... 10 weeks with me, five days a week. It's a, um, it's a broken up curriculum, it's called longitudinal. So I have the students a couple hours a week for six weeks and then we go on to the next body system and it's spread out across the year. That's very innovative, I haven't taught in that before. So I, I'm, be, I'm able to bring what I've learned in this teaching scholars program into the development of this curriculum. So I'm learning how to effectively design the content.
0: Very nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is very cool. Is that for the whole like PT class, or is it just a, a group mm. that choose to kind of go into that? I mean, how many students do you do all 60-plus students at this point? Yep,
1: now? so just to be uh, clear, this is actually for a physician assistant. Oh, okay, sorry. So okay. I actually, uh, I've seen the evolution of a longitudinal curriculum, first starting in medicine. I've seen it in PA. I have not seen it in PT, but that is what excites me, is what if PT... Um, leaders in PT education say that, you know, well, maybe there's evidence, maybe there's um, something going on here in medical and PA education with this kind of design. Maybe we should consider switching over and maybe I could be part of one of the first PT um, educators to develop uh, that kind of content in that kind of curriculum. So it's, it's really neat. It's almost like everything I do Regardless of what group I'm doing it with, I can translate it to the others. It's very beneficial. It's very good.
0: Very nice. Very, very cool. nice. Kind of, we're going to close up a little bit here. But what's yeah. your best piece of advice for sort of current PTs, you know, PT students or those kind of wanting BTS? Like, what's what's the one thing you really think, you know, beyond kind of know your anatomy? Yeah, that, you. <laughs> that you're really.
1: Um, yeah. So I very touched on this. I think that regardless of what your station is in life, you should consider your study strategies. And maybe even if you are done learning, which I don't that could be the case that maybe you have children that are learning, really pay attention to study strategies. And how are you trying to move information into your mind from that immediate memory to the longer term recall? And how good is your recall? And if it's really poor, try to look to these evidence-based study strategies. And a good place to start is a, a book called Making It Stick. Um, It's written by researchers, but it's written for anybody. It's written for parents of high school students, college students, and I've benefited as an educator going through this book, um, making it stick. And it just really lays out some of the current research and then gives you some ideas on how to apply it. Uh, There's also a great website out there. You'll just wanna Google um, the learning scientists, and they've got six strategies for effective learning and their goal is also to educate not only students but parents of students that may be um, using ineffective study techniques and you know the main um, unfortunate punchline here is learning anything that is durable and beneficial learning is difficult that's we right. all go for the easy win that's why highlighting is so popular <laughs> Um, and rereading it's so easy you look so accomplished once you get that all done but you really haven't moved anything um, deeper into your mind to be able to apply it Absolutely. in a different situation and that's what learning is all about
0: Whew. all right so we're about to start chip time today we're going to do ruffles mozzarella and marinara flavor i asked you before what your favorite chip was and you said you didn't quite have oh, a favorite at this point.
1: yeah i do well, i didn't have a favorite chip to suggest uh-huh. but i do have a favorite chip story there we go let's hear and the story. it's a little lowbrow honestly i was very self-conscious suggesting this chip <laughs> okay so i'm gonna do it so i my my favorite chip memory revolves the chip in the cylindrical can the pringle hmm. So, uh, pre- man, what an ev- talk about evolution. How many different flavors are there now? 77? Yeah. So, basically, it was the day after many years of dating my wife or my girlfriend, Stephanie, it was time to propose. We went up to Copper Mountain. We were, uh, the, the proposal was going to happen at the top of the lift. And uh, after we had eaten lunch... So I was packing the lunch, and I put the Pringles in there in the can. And I decided the safest place for the ring box was in the Camelback um, at the bottom with the chips. And sure enough, the first person to start digging into the backpack looking for the lunch was my girlfriend Stephanie, and I almost had a heart attack because I thought this the surprise would be ruined. So pre- it was not. Everything worked out fine. It was a great surprise. But um, yeah, Pringles have a really um, solid spot in my mind um, as a chip just based on the connection with my proposal to my wife so
0: <laughs> i actually proposed in a very similar way at the top of a chairlift in, oh, in vermont cool. so oh, man. Uh, i'm fully aware of the stress involved <laughs> with carrying a ring and skiing all so, day right? yeah. so yeah cool. that get, you get you ask my i'll have to bring my wife on sometime and we can talk about that she's got a better version of the story um, cool. anyway uh, ruffles mozzarella and marinara potato chips So chip-to-air ratio on this is actually pretty solid, about 50%. This is a seasonal, temporary flavor, so uh, we decided to kind of pull that out and give it a shot.
1: Now, is there a pumpkin spice chip?
0: You know, I haven't seen a pumpkin (laughs) spice chip. I mean, I'm sure that will happen, and we will pursue that at some point. Mike, I'm going to give you the honor. First chip is yours, sir. Here
1: we go. Okay, yeah. There's a good body to this chip.
0: It's, it's a ruffled, It's got a nice crispy flavor. It's definitely, I mean, more mozzarella kind of initial flavor and, and marinara on the back end. How does how flavor.
1: does that happen? You're right. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a first wave and a second wave. That's yep. phenomenal. And yeah, extremely tasty. Hmm, yeah, I think, yeah, let's dig into some more here.
0: It's definitely not a bad chip. I'm not sure how many you could eat before you... Got mm. a little disappointed with the flavor, though.
1: You need an endurance yeah. um, metric for this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be uh, for later lo-
0: longitudinal studies on this when we when we decide to get that far. Yeah, very good. Um, would you recommend this chip, Mike? Yes, I would. Yes, you would. would. Would Would you give this one thumb up, one thumb down, three thumbs up, three thumbs down? Okay. Where on the scale are you going to go with this one?
1: Yeah, so three really means something super exceptional. That yes. That's going to be super reserved. So yeah. I'm going to go with a two to be conservative. Uh, and that's two thumbs up.
0: Two thumbs up. All right, I'm a I'm a one thumbs up guy. I'm getting I'm getting very ones the last couple of weeks, but I think it's appropriate. Uh, yeah, I think that's appropriate for today. So we're gonna do yeah. trivia. So last week's trivia question was: Which four cities have hosted an F1 race, the Olympics, and a World Cup match? Do you have any idea on these, Mike? Any guesses?
1: Well, what is F1? Is that Formula One? Yes, Formula okay. One. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, You know, what comes to mind with Formula One is um, is South America, Brazil, so Rio would not surprise me. Rio is
0: a very good one, absolutely an answer.
1: But that is about where I hit a wall. As far as you go.
0: Well, (laughs) that's a good start. So we have, uh, last week was actually Sochi, that's why this question came up, so the F1 Mm -hmm. race was in Sochi. Sochi just had the World Cup, just had the Olympics. Uh, The other one is Barcelona, which is an older Olympic city, uh, and they host uh, an F1 Mm -hmm. race every year. And then Mexico City is the last. So we have Mexico City, Sochi, Barcelona, and mm-hmm. Rio as your cool. four cities. This week's new question, we're actually going to leave it up to Mike to decide what he mm. wants to do. So we're putting the stress on him right now. So it doesn't have to be a great question, but just anything you think is kind of entertaining or fun.
1: Okay, I am an anatomy nerd, so and I also like anatomy history. So I'm wondering if any listeners out there know what animal was used, uh, was dissected, in the times before humans were routinely dissected, to come up with many generalized conclusions about human anatomy. Those were later disproven, don't get me wrong, that's not what we use today, but I want you guys to think about what animal do you think was um, the most predominantly dissected in these early, early days of anatomy?
0: I like it, very applicable to everything we've discussed today. Uh, So that's kind of what we've got so far for you guys today. Uh, Really appreciate you guys listening again. This is one of our longer talks which we're pretty excited about. Can't thank Mike enough for for letting me come out and bothering him during his work day. Uh, Next week we're going to be going over low back pain which is very common. We're going to do our very first taste off. So this is where we have two chips that are the same flavor allegedly. So we're going to be reviewing the Old Dutch dill pickle and then the Kettle brand dill pickle chip. We're pretty much looking forward to that. Jimmer will be back on for that one. As always, anyone looking for more information about us, physical therapy in general, or the show, check out our website, reboundclinic.com. Uh, follow Mike on Twitter at uh, mpascoe. That's P-A-S-C-O-E. We'll put this all in the show notes as well. Anything else you'd like to kind of add on there, Mike? Snapchat perhaps? or?
1: Yeah, I think that would be cool. Uh, I would like you to kind of see what I'm posting. So my handle on Snapchat is anatomy snap, all one word. And I really don't need to list a bunch of other places to find me because connecting all of these websites and platforms has given me a a good visibility on Google. So just Google my name, uh, Mike uh, Pascoe, P-A-S-C-O-E, and you'll find all kinds of uh, interesting things that I'm up to and would definitely love to connect with you um, and interact with you that way.
0: Again, Mike, you thank so much for having us on today. Uh, You're the first guest. That's always going to be the most important trivia question we have from (laughs) here on out. Nice. Uh, No Jimmer, but I'm Christian. Thank you for listening.